So Money is brought to you by CNET, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So Money episode 1368, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. Friday, June 10th. How's everyone doing? I thought I would start this podcast with some thoughts that I shared today with my team at CNET. Every Friday, a a leader is tapped to provide like a little TED Talk on Slack, a three-minute chit-chat. We call it three things in three minutes. And so I had to think about what I wanted to share with my team. And so I thought I would share it with you as well. Here we go. My three thoughts in three minutes on this Friday. One, blue skies. Two, TikTok. And three, desserts. So number one, blue skies. As you will hear on this podcast, they haven't aired yet, but I've been having some recordings with guests, thought leaders, business leaders, founders about this concept of blue sky thinking in the context of work when we're talking about how employers can remap the future of work. What does that look like? We have to sometimes imagine using our imagination. It's a theme again that's been coming up on this show because best practices those practices that we have been leaning on because they've worked for us in the past may not actually be what is useful or important or impactful going forward. So we have to think bigger. We have to think new. We have to turn to the skies and take that pie in the sky idea and bring it down to planet earth. CNET Money, my team and I, we we do this every day. We look at wealth through the lens of what's next. We did a whole Power Money Moves series, which looked at investing in real estate, credit, all through the lens of the future. And we're preparing a financial equity package later this year, whereas we know there are no best practices for closing wealth gaps. If they existed, we wouldn't have a wealth gap. So we're thinking about new practices. What is that blue sky thinking that we need to incorporate into our work? So that's the first one, blue skies. Number two, TikTok our dear friend TikTok. Content leaders are trying to figure out TikTok. Some of you already have and you're off to the races and I'm a little jealous. I was listening to Pivot Podcast hosted by Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway where they were talking about TikTok and how it's having a moment. And Scott Galloway said, if you want to, quote, if you want to disproportionately grow your influence, you have to get great at the next medium. And it's not easy. So his advice, if you're a corporate leader or a small business leader, get the smartest people in a room thinking about TikTok morning, noon, and night. Now, I don't have that kind of bandwidth. I'm hosting a podcast, but I have started to experiment with short reels on Instagram. You may have caught me there where it's a place for me to like experiment and see what's landing and get used to that medium of doing and saying on camera. And I have an audience there, so it's a little bit easier for me to engage, but I'm going to extract what I'm learning there and maybe apply it to TikTok. I have an intern this summer, Caitlin, shout out to Caitlin. She's a student at UNC Chapel Hill. She's majoring in communications and she and I are going to try to figure this out. So keep me accountable. And then my third thought in well, has it been three minutes? Desserts. Yeah. I've been watching Julia on HBO. 
Have you caught this? It's so lovely, this show. It's a series about the life of Julia Child during her rise to fame. So it starts with her already publishing her book, Mastering the Art of French Cooking, and takes us to the moments before she is about to launch her wildly popular PBS show, The French Chef. Now, there were many people who were opposed to this. You can imagine a, a woman in the 1960s proposing to do a cooking show on TV. Of course, now we have Food Network and we have all these food influencers. It's normal now, but back then it was very unusual. Talk about blue sky thinking. And Julia was able to convince the powers that be, all these men, to take a chance on her. It's a lovely show. And there's a quote, um, a few episodes in, there's this quote that really made me laugh and smile. And it was this, desserts spelled backwards is stressed. Lean into the joy, everybody, even if that's all there is to it. As the daughter of immigrants, I didn't do this enough growing up. I was very serious. Fun was not allowed. Something that was purely fun was not something I uh, I ran towards. You can The book's coming out next year. You'll read all about it. But move forward with the things in life that are sweet. So those are my three thoughts in three minutes that I share with my internal team. And now I'm sharing with you because I love you. Your questions this week are very good. We're going to get to them very soon. Uh, Questions about what to do with your retirement after you've maxed out your 401k and maybe even an IRA. What is next? Another listener wants to know, should I use my emergency money to pay for medical bills? They're about $5,000. Is there a better way to cover this expense? Maybe interest-free credit payments. How to avoid the potential taxes? that come with real estate profits, investment real estate profits. What do I think about buying a house right now? Should we hit pause on buying plans? And then what do I think about Acorns too, that investing app that is very popular, has been around for quite a long time. A listener wants to know, I've got answers, but first let's go to the mailbag and pick our reviewer of the week to give away our free 15-minute money session. This week, we're gonna say thank you to Emily Aborn who left review on May 28th. Emily says, I love this podcast. Farnoosh brings on great guests, some of whom I've reached out to be on my own podcast. She answers questions around money I didn't even know I had, and it is super informative without it feeling overwhelming or stressful. Five stars isn't enough. Emily, thank you. And tell me about your podcast. I'd love to check it out. Get in touch. You can email me, Farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com, or you can DM me on Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi. I'll send you a link where you can pick a time for us to connect. I hope you checked out the episodes this week. We had Ramit Sethi on Wednesday talking about the job market, earning more money. We also riffed on that survey from the previous week about people making a quarter of a million dollars a year and living paycheck to paycheck. That story just doesn't get old. And then on Monday, Amanda Holden, founder of Invested Development, who's hilarious and smart and lovely. And she was talking about how to make investing moves right now in this weird stock market. And if your portfolio is tanking, guess what? You're not doing anything wrong. So check out Amanda's episode. She's awesome. All right, let's go to the mailbag. Sandrine has a question about retirement. She says, hey, Farnoosh, I'm a faithful listener. I moved to the US five years ago. I did not know anything about credit cards, 401ks. A lot of financial concepts were foreign to me. And so I started listening to your podcast and I've learned a tremendous amount. Thank you. Well, I'm so happy that we have been helpful to you, Sandrine. A little bit more about Sandrine. In five years, she's increased her income by 87% thanks to promotions and job changes. She has saved a six-month emergency fund. She's invested her first $100,000 and she bought her first home with her husband. Wow. 
What a banner five years, Sandrine. Amazing. She said, we both recently changed jobs and now we earn above the income limits to contribute to a Roth IRA. We are not eligible for HSAs, health savings accounts. We already have savings in addition to our emergency fund for short-term projects like vacations and home improvement. We don't have any debt outside of our mortgage and our rate is low. It's less than one and a half percent. What? What bank is that with? Tell me everything. Anyway, prepaying that does not make sense. Her question is this, what can we do to continue saving for retirement? We already maxed out our 401ks. I understand that we can still contribute to a traditional IRA, but we're not going to get the tax deduction again because of their salaries. What is the point of contributing to a traditional IRA without benefiting from the deduction? Is the paperwork to do a backdoor Roth IRA worth it? Or is it simply time for us to contribute to brokerage accounts? Any insights and recommendations would be appreciated. Well, yes, you could look into a backdoor Roth IRA, Sundrine, and the process for that is you first invest in a traditional IRA and then you convert it to a Roth IRA. I would highly recommend working with someone who can help you with this, who is a financial expert, who works at the brokerage where you're opening up these accounts. And so you don't make any mistakes and get suddenly hit with any liabilities, tax liabilities. But yeah, that's one option. But of course, it depends on how much you're looking to invest too. If you have just a few more thousand dollars to go around, then the backdoor Roth IRA could work. But if it's more, if it's tens of thousands of dollars this year and every year, then a brokerage account might meet your needs a little bit better. Because with a brokerage account, there are no limits to how much you can contribute every year. You can put money in and out as much as you want. There's no penalty for taking money out of the portfolio early. There's no threshold like 59 and a half as like there is with the 401ks and IRAs. We've talked about back to our Roth IRAs on the show. I'll throw the link in the episode notes so you can go back and listen. But additionally, I would look into a brokerage account. This is the time to look into a brokerage account. You've maxed out your 401ks and you earn too much to get the tax benefits that come with a traditional IRA, a Roth IRA. And I think anywhere you open one up, whether it's a robo-advisor, a traditional investment house, you'll have a lot of options before you, probably more than what your 401k provides. So that's the other benefit is that you get access to a lot of more, a lot of different kinds of investment choices. So in summary, look into both, look into doing a backdoor Roth IRA. And then if you have more money to invest, open up the brokerage account. And congrats again to all of your financial success. Shell has a question. Would you advise that someone take money out of their emergency fund to pay medical bills? We have a bill that's approximately $5,000. Or do we continue to make interest-free monthly payments? So this is a really great question, Shell. I would say if you take out this $5,000 from your emergency fund, where does that leave you in terms of covering your expenses in case of a more serious injury? And I'm not talking health injury. I'm talking like a financial injury, like losing your job, losing an income, losing a paycheck. Where are you with that emergency fund? Are you able to cover six months of your living expenses, nine months of your living expenses, less than that? If it's less than six months after you take out this $5,000 and it will take you many more months to replace that $5,000, I would look at making these interest-free monthly payments. Because as we enter a potential recession, and it looks like I'm not a gambler, but I might make a small bet, like $5, that we're probably going to be technically in a recession when the second GDP report comes out next month. In any case, people are already getting laid off. It's a really murky time. So 
Think about your financial security. If you take this $5,000 out of your emergency account, where does that leave you? If you have this alternative to pay interest-free on a monthly basis, then it's worth considering. If you didn't have that option, I would say, well, you got to take money out of savings and there should be no shame or guilt or regret. That's what it's there for. But in this event where you have an alternative path, which is not going to cost you anything more, it's actually going to buy you some time and give you some more liquidity. I'd say, yeah, look into it. Before you do ask this question of the healthcare provider or whoever is providing these free monthly payments, what are the penalties if I'm late to paying one month? How does this get reported to my credit report, if at all? Okay, so you want to ask those two questions, get those answers in writing before you before you enter this, because what I wouldn't want this to be masked as is, let's say, a credit line that you're somehow taking out and maxing out and paying back in installments, because technically then it does get reported to your credit reporting agencies and it looks like you've maxed out a credit line which is not really that good. You know, this is the situation that some people got into back in the day when retailers were offering 0% monthly installments for like a TV or a piece of furniture, but what they were actually doing, the mechanics of that did involve credit and it did impact credit scores. So I just want you to make sure what the mechanics are of this interest-free monthly payment. Is it purely just they're giving you this time out of the goodness of their heart to pay it back? Or are they going to penalize you if you're late? Are they going to maybe report this to credit bureaus? So just figure that out. But honestly, and this is for everybody listening, if you have to pull from your emergency account for a medical bill, for a broken car, for something that is necessary. That is a valid reason to pull from your emergency account. And how wonderful, Shell, that you even have the money. You did the good job of filling up that emergency bucket and it's now there for you when you need it. But listen, if you've got this other option, look into it. Let me know if you have other questions. Lara May wants to know about the 1031 IRS rules. Here's her situation. She says, hey, Farnoosh, I have a question about capital gains taxes and 1031 exchanges. Is there anything that can be done other than purchasing another house? We want to streamline. We want to pay off debts, simplify. So a part of me just thinks, pay the tax and move along. But that's going to come to about eighty dollars to $100,000 that we have to pay in capital gains on our second home sale. It's a painful thought. Can we invest some of this money in some other way than taking on another mortgage? Okay. So for everyone listening, what Lara May is experiencing is she sold an investment property or is about to sell an investment property. I'm not sure where she is in that stage, but she's got an investment property that she's offloading. She's done some math and she believes her tax liability for this sale, the capital gains tax that she'll have to pay, is anywhere from eighty dollars to $100,000, which is uh, a lot. But then I guess you also made quite a bit too. The IRS has a what's called 1031 exchange, which is governed by code section 1031. I'm pulling up my nerdy glasses here. It provides that, quote, no gain or loss shall be recognized if the property, which is used in trade or business for investment, is exchanged solely for property of like kind. So in layman's terms, that means you swap one real estate investment for another 
with deferred taxes on those capital gains. So it's not that you're never going to pay the taxes. It's that you just don't have to pay them right now uh, as long as you use the proceeds from that sale towards another property that is also going to be used for investment purposes. It's a little bit of a complicated process. The gains are deferred with a 1031 exchange up until you sell your final property and take that final profit. That's when you will pay taxes on whatever is owed. You might have seen this in the news recently because the Biden administration uh, has announced a potential change to this law where they're going to limit the amount that you can transfer in a 1031 exchange. Right now, there are no limits. You can limit, you can transfer whatever. But if you transfer more than $500,000 in gains, uh, then that could trigger a capital gains tax for the amount above that $500,000. That's for an individual. It's a million dollars for a couple. So that uh, could throw a wrench in things a little bit. But for for now, you can do any amount uh, transferred that into another like property. What I would recommend to Laramie uh, is that first, before you assume the tax burden here. Did you go through the deductions exercise? Did you know that you can deduct a number of expenses from that profit from of that sale to reduce your tax exposure potentially? So things like broker's commissions, escrow and title fees, fix-up expenses, maybe deductible as well. So if you renovated the property, put in new appliances, all of that, if you've got the receipts, if you haven't done the math, that could be substantial and that could bring down that eighty dollars to $100,000 we're talking about. The other thing I would say is that while you can't go and take this money and put it in you know, a car or pay off bills, you have to put it in a like investment. We tend to have in our mind that it has to be the same exact kind of property, but it could also be land. It could be an office building. And you can also cross state lines. So if there's nothing interesting in your area or your state, you could look at other states where there may be more investment opportunities for Airbnbs and so forth. My recommendation, talk to a tax expert. There are many experts out there that know much more than I do about this. The best thing for you may be to look at all of the expenses that you have accrued over the years, owning this investment property, seeing if any of that is tax deductible, and at least lowering the bill. Thanks for your question. Okay, next up, Brew Woodsy. What do you think of Acorns app, Farnoosh? Compared to Robinhood and other investing apps, Acorns seems to get less airtime. Is it a good option for newer investors? All right, Brew Woodsy. I, I don't use Acorns, although I did actually way back in the day. I was trying to just get a handle on it. It's been around for a very long time. It's very popular. And it is a very different business model than the Robinhoods and the other gamified investment platforms that we do see covered much more heavily in the news. And I'll tell you why that is. It is because when there is some sort of investment wave, meme stock investing, people buying GameStop or other junk stock, where do they do it? They don't do it on Acorns. They do it on Robinhood and these other gamified apps that give you access to day trading and picking stocks by the hour, by the minute. Acorns is not in that business. They are in the investment business, but they don't offer a day trading platform. They don't send you alerts and emojis when your stocks go up or down. Acorns, my understanding is that it takes a much more measured approach for the long term. And they offer many things. They have their beginner platform, which I'll get into, but they also have a robo-advisor platform. They have IRAs for retirement. They have bank accounts. So 
For the beginner, Acorns offers what's called micro-investing. It gives novice investors the chance to invest in little small chunks. And how does it do this? The app hooks up with your bank account. And every time you buy something, it takes that transaction, rounds it up to the nearest dollar, takes the change, the difference, and then invests it in a diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds that is based on your investor profile. Okay, they ask you a bunch of questions. They don't just invest it how they feel like you should be invested. They ask you important questions like your risk tolerance, your timeline, all of that to create a portfolio that is risk adjusted and diversified. Very important. So you may have heard me talk about Digit on this show. Similarly, what Digit does, it takes little bits of money from your bank account and saves it for you, which we know as investors, as savers, putting money away can be painful and we can forget to do it. So these apps create this automated process. They do it in nominal amounts, which makes it easy, not as painful. I like Acorns for that. I mean, if you are a novice investor and you just want to get your feet wet, you want to not feel so guilty about spending because you know that when you spend, a little bit of that's also going to go to an investment portfolio. You know, uh, I think that there's some good in that. So just to put this into an example, if you buy a smoothie for $8.88, Acorns rounds up to the nearest dollar, which is $9, and takes the remaining 12 cents and invests that in the market. And over time, your contributions add up. So good for newbies. Again, it's not like these gamified apps. They're not going to, Acorns doesn't make the news when there's a meme stock trend. That's why maybe it doesn't dominate headlines, but I think it's still worthy of our time to look, to learn, and check it out. Finally, Lauren wants to know, how do you think about making a new home buying plan in this market? Uh, Should we rethink our housing budget, our new home purchasing budget with the decline in the market? So interestingly, Lauren, I wrote about this in my newsletter this week. If you're not subscribed to the So Money newsletter, where I give very exclusive ideas, not seen anywhere else before, thoughts and my favorite things and all the things I'm reading and loving, uh, subscribe. I'll put the link here in the show notes. It's free. It's once a week. And it's just me talking to you about what's going on in the money world through my lens. But I actually wrote about the benefits of renting versus buying right now. And my audience, I specifically was writing to people like you, Lauren, who may have been trying to buy a home recently and have been coming up empty. Those of you in the audience who have been contemplating buying a home, maybe you've made a few offers, you haven't been successful because it's a really, really hard market right now. Don't be too hard on yourself. You're not doing anything wrong if you've yet to offer the top bid and have promised your firstborn child and came with a boatload of cash and maybe you've thrown in some cryptocurrency. The offers right now that are happening, the sales that are closing, these buyers are not your average buyer. They're going way above and beyond in many cases. And bottom line, you know, we know rents are going up. It's not like it's a rosier picture in the rental market. The average apartment across the country right now is up 21% the cost of that from two years ago. The Realtor.com April report says average monthly rent across major metro centers is at a high of $1,827 per month, $1,827. It's because landlords are jacking up the rent post-pandemic. There are not as many units available to match the, the demand that's growing. Even so, I say renting has its perks right now compared to owning. We're heading into a recession potentially. And what do we know about down markets? One thing is sure, cash is power in a downturn. So 
Don't be hard on yourself if you haven't been successful buying a home yet. Maybe it's a sign that you want to stay on the sidelines for a little bit. A lot of people are calling this market a bubble that is about to burst. So imagine having to unload a home that you bought at peak market in a year or two, because for whatever reason, you know, you're moving, you lost your job, you have a change of heart, you want to go back to living somewhere else, whatever. You got to move in a couple of years and then you're trying to move in a recession you may risk selling at a loss. So look, I like both sides of the argument. I'm an owner. I would never want to discourage someone from their dreams of owning a home, but this may be a time to just take a pause, hit the pause button, because renting allows you to hold on to the cash that you would have otherwise spent on a down payment and closing costs. You'll be able to stay more liquid in a period right now that is so uncertain. If you find a house that is within your budget, you can pay for it comfortably, and you've got cash left over after all of the out-of-pocket costs to cover yourself in case of an emergency, fine, go for it. But if buying this home is going to be a stretch and you might pay more than what you were planning to pay because you want to be an owner so badly, you can still be an owner, but maybe now is not the right time. Real estate agents who are most inclined to push people to buy are the ones that tell me the house that you're looking for is out there. You're going to get it someday. Even they have said on this podcast that it doesn't make sense to rush into this just because you're exhausted. And I know a lot of us are just exhausted. We just want to buy that house already. But renting for some may prove more advantageous. You know, when I first came to this city in 2002 to New York, I live in Jersey now, but when I first came to Manhattan, I paid $550 a month for a lovely rent-stabilized apartment Upper West Side, I had my own room, my own bathroom. I had, you know, I live with a married couple, so maybe I should mention that. That wasn't great. But the building had 24 hour security, proximity to the subways, two elevators. That deal now, forget it, it's extinct. But even so, I say renting, while it's expensive, might be in the long run more financially fruitful for you so that you can, once all of this, once all the dust settles, and there are more houses on the market, prices come down, you'll have more options and you'll be more financially ready to buy because you hit the pause button for a little bit. And that's our show this Friday. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your weekend is so money.